everyone, this is Dermot here with a very special episode. Today's interview is focused on recent developments in Palestine. My guest is Rania Muhareb, a PhD researcher at the Irish Centre for Human Rights in Galway and consultant with the Palestinian human rights organisation Al-Haq. Before kicking off, I would like to signpost a number of events and initiatives that people can put their weight behind in order to support the Palestinian struggle. This Saturday, 22nd of May, there will be demos all around Ireland and internationally, and I will outline the full list in the episode description. If you're listening after Saturday, I would encourage you to seek out groups active on the issue, and in Ireland, I would recommend people follow the Irish Palestine Solidarity Campaign and the Trinity BDS Campaign in order to get a sense of events in the future. I would also encourage those who are in a union, civil society group, or political organisation to push for it to sign up to the BDS campaign and also to put its weight behind expelling the Israeli ambassador. In the episode description you can also find a number of resources referenced by Rania in our conversation as well as the campaign mentioned which focuses on recognising Israel as an apartheid state. At one point Rania mentions not having the figure for the deaths in the West Bank and Gaza and I would just like to update that the death toll stands in Gaza at around 220 and in the West Bank at around 25. Both figures are rising as the days progress. I will also leave a link to places you can find Rania's writing. Okay. All right, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Rania Muhareb. Thank you for joining me to talk about a very pressing situation. Thanks so much for having me. No problem at all. It's our pleasure. Uh, today we're going to be discussing recent developments in Palestine. Just as a start, could you give an outline of how this series of events began and how it has unfolded over the past week or so? Um, so there's a short story and there's a longer one. I will start with the recent events, which uh, led to the current escalation. Um, as you know, uh, during the holy month of Ramadan, so over the past month or so, Palestinians have been protesting all over Jerusalem for several reasons, including, uh, and in particular, the uh, immediate uh, forced expulsions of Palestinian families in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood of Jerusalem. Uh, so we're talking about 28 families who uh, face an imminent threat of expulsion. Um, at the moment. And uh, as well, during the month of Ramadan, we were seeing measures by the Israeli military, the Israeli occupying forces in Jerusalem to prevent uh, Palestinians from gathering in Damascus Gate, which is a main gathering site in the old city of Jerusalem, um, especially during that period. So during those protests, which managed to remove the barricades in Damascus Gate, um, we started to see increased mobilization, gatherings, uh, both in the old city and in Sheikh Jarrah, in support of those Palestinian families who today are facing expulsions. Um, and as you've seen as well, and this has been documented and recorded, um, some of these protests have been violently suppressed. And um, these repressions continued into uh, towards the end of the month of Ramadan, when Israeli occupying forces um, started to attack uh, worshippers in the Al-Aqsa Mosque um, during Ramadan, firing at them inside the mosque, scenes which we have seen circulated on social media. So, so things escalated towards the end of Ramadan uh, with continued attacks on Palestinians throughout Jerusalem. And then these were followed by, um, trying to think how to say this in a way that, you know, doesn't frame Hamas as an attacker, which has yeah. been done too often, and uh, and this is not how I'm trying to frame things. 
but let's put it this way. Um, I'll just say that, you know, I wanted just to, to highlight how this continued with, with Gaza and how, um, how the current uh, onslaught on Palestinians in Gaza developed. Uh, towards the end of, of the month of Ramadan, um, with all these escalations and attacks on Palestinians in Jerusalem, um, Palestinian resistance uh, factions in the Gaza Strip also, also took action to uh, defend Palestinian rights in Jerusalem. And as a result, we've seen an onslaught, a renewed military assault on the Gaza Strip by the Israeli occupying forces, um, which is not the first, of course, as we know, it's um, the fourth actually wave of atrocities that Palestinians in Gaza have endured uh, since the beginning of the blockade in 2007. Um, so uh, the Israeli occupying forces have led large scale military assaults on Gaza in 2008, nine, in 2012, in 2014, again, um, and also in 2018, 2019, we know that peaceful demonstrations in the Gaza Strip were severely repressed by the Israeli occupying forces um, for calling for a lifting of the illegal closure, uh, which amounts to collective punishment and the realization of Palestinian rights, in particular, return. So this is the context of systematic oppression that Palestinians have faced. And so in this context, when we look at Sheikh Jarrah, when we look at uh, the military assault on the Gaza Strip, we need to understand it within the broader context. And this is the longer story that is necessary to understand what is happening exactly today in Palestine. Um, and the longer discussion is necessary because when we see these expulsions in Sheikh Jarrah, they're really a microcosm of the expulsion that Palestinians have faced for the past seven decades. Um, so Palestinians are, are calling this the ongoing Nakba, which is um, a reference to the catastrophe that Palestinians endured in 1948, and a recognition that this catastrophe is not a one-time event, but a continuous structure and process of dispossession for Palestinians, and therefore that this is inherent in the ideology of Zionism that has sought maximum land um, and minimum number of Palestinians since the establishment of the state in 1948. Uh, and so we can now understand when we look at the expulsions in Jerusalem, um, the repression of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and the rest of Palestine, which I'm happy to discuss, um, we can understand how this ongoing Nakba is a process of continuing elimination of Palestinians and therefore that it must be understood within a broader structure of Israeli settler colonialism and apartheid as it's imposed on all of Palestinians. Yeah, so you had remarked on the apartheid nature of the system and how this undergirds the oppression of Palestinian people. I was just wondering if you might elaborate on this a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I really have to note here is that the apartheid analysis for Palestine is not new. We're seeing it growing in recognition in recent years, but in fact, it's been an analysis that uh, Palestinian scholars, practitioners, um, and civil society have been leading for many decades. Um, even, for example, from the 1960s, before the Israeli occupation in 1967, there was already recognition um, that uh, the um, that Zionist colonization in Palestine is inherently uh, racial in the sense that uh, it promotes a, uh, an ideology of racial exclusiveness um, and racial supremacy um, at the expense of indigenous Palestinian rights. And so this is a recognition we already have from Palestinian scholars in the 60s 
Um, and in the 1970s, as you know, there was important discussion about um, the inherent uh, racial characteristic of the Zionist movement um, in terms of its uh, intention to expel and to replace the indigenous Palestinian people. So when we talk about the apartheid analysis um, in recent years, um, Palestinian civil society have played an important part uh, in um, advancing this analysis um, from, for example, engagement in 2009 with a detailed South African study on apartheid and its applicability in Palestine. So this was uh, a report by the Human Sciences Research Council, um, which was commissioned by the South African government and to which Al-Haq and Adala, two Palestinian organizations, contributed. And so this report uh, essentially found that um, apartheid is applicable as a legal category um, in Palestine, it also uh, discussed the applicability of occupation and colonialism. So all of these frameworks being uh, mutually reinforcing rather than exclusive. Um, and so since then, we have seen continued recognition that apartheid is a relevant framework to address Palestinian rights. Um, and Palestinians have also insisted that uh, this be regarded also together with the framework on colonialism and specifically settler colonialism. Um, and I'll just point to um, an important uh, report that was submitted in 2019 by Palestinian organizations uh, and regional human rights organizations. Um, it was submitted to the UN Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, and it detailed how Israel has imposed apartheid over the Palestinian people as a whole, um, including Palestinians in exile who are denied their right of return. And it did so on the basis of the definition of apartheid under the 1973 Apartheid Convention, and uh, the 1998 Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. Um, and this analysis then was also taken up by the Committee on Elimination of Racial Discrimination, which then concluded at the end of 2019 that Israeli policies uh, targeting Palestinians on both sides of the Green Line amount to racial segregation and apartheid. Uh, so this is something now we're continuing to see by UN bodies and experts for example, in 2020, um, in the context of annexation threats um, by the Israeli government, uh, 47 UN uh, special rapporteurs, human rights experts, uh, concluded that annexation would only be the crystallization um, of an already unjust reality, which is an apartheid uh, of the 21st century imposed on Palestinians. And we are also seeing as a result of advocacy efforts by Palestinian and regional rights groups at the UN, um, several states uh, recognizing that Israel has imposed an apartheid regime. Um, in particular, uh, we need to note that South Africa and Namibia have recognized Israeli apartheid. Um, and Namibia this year became the first country to echo calls by civil society for reconstituting UN mechanisms on apartheid, such as the Special Committee and the UN Center Against Apartheid. Uh, so we're seeing both recognition by states, civil society, um, as well as UN bodies and experts that the situation in Palestine amounts to apartheid. And of course, we talked uh, about the question of fragmentation and that fragmentation plays an essential role in establishing and maintaining this regime. As such, we, uh, we need to stress that um, overcoming fragmentation needs to be a priority um, in addressing apartheid as well as, of course, international justice and accountability. And the International Criminal Court offers an important avenue now uh, to try the crime of apartheid uh, for the very first time in history. Uh, so now when we talk about the Palestinian mobilizations that we're seeing, um, we need to remember that 
apartheid is also uh, committed within the broader context of settler colonialism, which seeks the elimination of Palestinians and their continued erasure and dispossession. These two frameworks help us better understand the nature of the situation on the ground, and they help us also articulate and formulate uh, avenues to challenge this oppression. Yeah, and, and just to emphasize how central people putting their weight behind this is, we recently spoke with uh, Karen Gearin, who was a, a Dunn Stores striker uh, during the Dunn Stores apartheid strikes, and that itself started a wave and of support in Ireland that led to us um, boycotting goods from apartheid South Africa. So it, it is really crucial that people people consider these things and push for them in their unions and in their uh, workplaces and also any civil society groups or political groups that they're in. Thank you so much. I think it was important to add that. So just you remarked there in terms of the oppression which the Palestinian people are facing in the 48 uh, states. I had read uh, myself in terms of lack of deprivation of water, energy, and then the land in itself. Um, Could you just elaborate on the nature of this oppression? Absolutely. Um, we need to note that uh, over 90% of the land in 48, so within the Green Line, um, is uh, designated as state land, and therefore it is uh, slated for exclusive Jewish use. And this is part of why we're seeing the situation as one of apartheid, because Palestinians are deprived of fundamental rights. Um, and so Palestinians in 48 um, are deprived of access to land and resources. They are prevented from living in hundreds of towns across the country um, that are Jewish only, and they are also um, and, and they also face systematic uh, displacement, uh, including house demolitions that we see on both sides of the Green Line, discriminatory planning and zoning, um, resulting in expulsions um, in different parts of the country, but in particular in the Naqab in the south. Um, and essentially, uh, the same logic of settler colonial elimination that we see um, in um, the 67 territories, we also see in 48. Palestinians are facing the same struggle on both sides of the Green Line. Um, they're facing a struggle of expulsion um, and erasure, which in essence drives the settler colonial logic. And we need to remember that Israeli legislation, policies and practices entrench um, a so-called superior nationality right for Jewish persons. Um, and in doing so, uh, they deprive Palestinians of fundamental rights to land, property, uh, access to and control over natural resources. Um, and it's important to point to the role that Zionist institutions play in this policy, because under the Israeli law, they're granted quasi-governmental status and they dictate uh, policies uh, with respect to land uh, and resources, as well as, um, as, well as other um, key policies of the state. And therefore, they deprive Palestinians of their means of subsistence in this uh, in this sense by depriving them of access to property, access to land and resources, and of course, continuing to strip them of those very rights. When we talk about Israel as having established an apartheid regime over the Palestinian people, we need to consider the role that Zionist institutions play in this regard and the fact that they are chartered to discriminate against non-Jewish persons. Um, and this recognition is not new. Uh, we have seen a UN committee in the 1990s already recognize that this process of continuous transfer of Palestinian land and properties to Zionist institutions, such as the Jewish National Fund, the Jewish Agency, and of course, denying Palestinians those rights, uh, amounts to institutionalized discrimination because in essence, those Zionist institutions would deprive Palestinians um, of the use of those properties. 
Yeah, so you, you did remark there that these developments are part of a, a long history of oppression and suffering for the Palestinian people. Although it has ebbed from a high ebb to a low ebb in terms of expulsions, that we are now at a high period of, of aggression. I read recently that the part of this escalation comes from the political position of some of the Israeli forces, especially around Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. What is the political background to this development and to what degree does the position of uh, Israeli forces like the Likud party influence this process? Thanks so much for that. Um, so the first thing that we need to note is that the main goal of the Zionist project in Palestine is that of expulsion and replacement of the Palestinian people. So this is the secular colonial logic that we are talking about. And this transcends any Israeli government. And so it has been the it has the it has been the foundation of the state of Israel since 1948. It does not depend on which party is in government. And in that sense, we have seen that all Israeli parties in government since 1948 and until this day have pursued that very same goal, which is dispossessing, displacing Palestinians from their lands and property, and of course, denying them return to that property. So we have today millions of Palestinian refugees who are in exile, who are denied that right of return, and as well, a continuous process of expulsion for Palestinians who have remained within the land and are continuing to face expulsions today. Um, and this, as I said, does not depend on one Israeli government. This has been a policy throughout. And therefore, we need to understand this within the broader Zionist logic that drives the state. And we need to understand it um, in a sense that this transfer of Palestinians from their lands is a raison d'etat of Israel. It is not uh, just a byproduct of one government's decisions. Yeah, and, and, and just on that right of return, I recently saw the very encouraging development of Palestinians coming across the border with Jordan in order to offer their support. Uh, is there a basis for a mass movement akin to, say, the first intifada or the mass movements which we've seen only yesterday as well? The, the scenes we've been seeing uh, from Palestinian refugees in Jordan and in Lebanon um, coming into historic Palestine, um, they've been incredible because, as you know, for the past seven decades, Palestinians have been denied this inalienable right. Um, it's been reaffirmed in hundreds of UN resolutions, actually more than any other UN resolution in the history of the United Nations. And yet this right has been under continuous attack, especially over the past few years. Um, but the right of return is enshrined in international law, and Palestinians have been deprived of this right for the past seven decades. So to see Palestinians exercising that right and um, returning to their homeland is something that is remarkable when we consider the extent of this colonial violence that Palestinians have faced for the past century or so. Um, and so whether this is part of a broader movement, I think we, we can understand it as part of a broader mobilization by Palestinians in all the in the all the areas to which they've been confined as a result of Israeli policy. And one of the most promising and motivating factors in the past few weeks has been this growing unity and the show and affirmation of unity by Palestinians across their fragmented geographies. Um, as you know, uh, in addition to denying the right of return to Palestinians in exile, uh, Palestinians within historic Palestine have also been systematically fragmented. They've been given different legal status in the different areas where they are, um, including Palestinians in Jerusalem who have a residency status, but that in fact can be revoked by the Israeli authorities. 
And we've seen about 15,000 Palestinians having their residencies revoked since the beginning of the occupation in 67. In turn, we have Palestinians who uh, are, we refer to as, as 48 Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship, um, but in fact are not granted um, equal rights within the country. And so essentially Palestinians in 48 um, are subjected to the same institutionalized regime of racial oppression that Palestinians in other areas face. And we see that therefore now, when we talk about the uh, violent lynch mobs that have targeted Palestinian citizens, um, these are a reflection of this broader colonial violence that the state has waged on Palestinians since 1948. Um, and so we need to understand when uh, the media talks about so-called mixed cities, um, the reason these cities are mixed is because Palestinians in those cities have been expelled. The majority of the indigenous people of those cities in 48 were expelled in 1948 and have been denied return. They are uh, today in refugee camps across the region um, and in exile in other parts of the world. And in turn, um, the Israeli media is also uh, and international media has referred to uh, the lynch mobs that are perpetrated by Zionist settlers and with the support and facilitation of the Israeli state, they refer to these as a civil war within the country. Um, this too is completely inaccurate because we need to understand them within this broader structure of colonial oppression in which sense Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship are themselves dominated by that status. This is one of the arguments that, for example, uh, Palestinian scholar Lana Tatur discusses. Um, so essentially, when we see Palestinian refugees today in Jordan and Lebanon taking um, taking the step to uh, storm into historic Palestine and to affirm this right of return, um, this really speaks volumes to a century of oppression that uh, we have faced as a people. And it also stresses that the Palestinian struggle needs to be seen in this comprehensive and holistic uh, manner. And it needs to be considered in light of the situation of all Palestinians. Uh, whether they are residents of Jerusalem, citizens in 48, um, refugees, and of course, Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip um, who are under Israeli military laws. Yes. Yeah, so, so yesterday we seen the very encouraging demonstrations all through Palestine. Does that show some sense of a possibility of like a larger movement breaking out? And to what to what effect has this had at this stage? And does it show any probability of breaking through? Uh, yesterday, you referred to the process that took place. Um, I should just say first that uh, the yesterday was the 18th of May, um, and it marked the National Day of Strike across historic Palestine. And this is uh, unprecedented, really, for the Palestinian liberation movement, because um, the first uh, it, it's essentially the first national strike on both sides of the Green Line. Um, since uh, 1936, so since the mobilization by Palestinians against British colonial rule, and of course at the time, uh, the role of the British mandate in facilitating Zionist immigration at the expense of Palestinian national rights. Uh, and so this is really remarkable, and it's um, and it's a testament to to the unity of the Palestinian struggle and people in the face of this century of colonial oppression. Um, and with, when we see these mobilizations happening across historic Palestine and also in exile, um, I just wanted to note that there were also um, strikes in Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon yesterday, for example. Um, so these really reaffirm um, the, um, uh, th that the struggle is won uh, by the Palestinian people as a whole 
in historic Palestine. And of course, this means that we, we need to start addressing the situation as such, and we need to start to address the root causes that have fragmented Palestinians. Um, and I do want to point uh, to the fact that fragmentation over the past years has been recognized as one of the main tools of Israeli apartheid over Palestinians. So in 2017, for example, the UN published uh, a report authored by professors Richard Falk and Virginia Tilly, which recognized fragmentation of Palestinians across historic Palestine and in exile as being a main tool of racial oppression. So the main tool through which Israel prevents Palestinians from enjoying collective rights um, and continues to oppress them on the ground. Um, and in particular, Palestinians are denied the right of self-determination and the right of return, which is integral to it, um, given the millions of Palestinians still today are languishing in exile. Um, and in that context, when we look at these mobilizations, certainly they should be a source of inspiration to all of us. And also um, they should inform the mobilizations that we're seeing in other parts of the world, uh, where we are seeing solidarity with Palestinians um, in major cities across Europe, North America, and of course in the Arab world. Um, and we've seen, for example, thousands of protesters rallying in Ireland um, uh, in support of Palestinian rights. Uh, and this essentially motivates the continued mobilization of Palestinians, uh, and it reinforces the sense of solidarity um, that uh, we're seeing from the world today, despite the fact that, as you know, governments are still holding positions uh, that are um, that are contrary to the realization of Palestinian rights. On Saturday, I was at a protest of about 2,000 people in Dublin, which marched from the city centre to the Israeli embassy. And yesterday, I was at a demo of a few hundred people, also at the embassy. This Saturday, it's planned to have the same sort of demo in the city centre. I see there's demos in Galway and Belfast and Derry as well. Um, and similar demonstrations, as you said, have taken place around the world. It's extremely encouraging. Um, however, at the same time, we see representatives of the ruling class in America, in the EU, and even here in Ireland, either supporting the Israeli uh, regime or equivocating on the issue in order to offer uh, tacit support or, or hide behind that type of equivocation. What has been your view of the international reaction, both good and bad? I think we are seeing um, this mobilization that we're seeing in the streets um, is, is one that that shows an increased support uh, for the Palestinian struggle and also shows that uh, governments across Europe and in particular North, North America um, are do not represent the views of the people who are protesting against the policies that oppress Palestinians. And so I think it's really significant, especially when we see that uh, media coverage, for example, of Palestine remains deeply biased uh, in favor of Israel um, and uh, in favor of the um, of the subjugation of Palestinians. And yet we are seeing this continued mobilization in the streets through protests, through rallies and solidarity movements um, that essentially are showing us um, that a narrative is shifting in favor of Palestinian rights and, um, and Palestinian liberation in particular. So I think this is quite significant because um, we're seeing increased reports and commentaries on the situation that are centering facts on the ground that are talking about the asymmetry of power between the Israeli colonizer and oppressed Palestinians. And there's also criticism that we're seeing of this narrative that they're both sides to the story. And instead, we're seeing that this is structural oppression um, and therefore that the root causes that drive the continued dispossession and displacement of Palestinians 
are settler colonialism and apartheid. And by seeing this mobilization around the world in support of Palestinian rights, we can certainly talk about a shifting narrative in favor of addressing those root causes. Yeah, and I think when looking at the foundations or basis of that oppression, you can see through how uh, false that equivocation is in that the Israeli state rests upon the support of US imperialism, um, the EU and, and other global systems. Just in terms of the protests yesterday, you had mentioned that there was a, a different level of repression throughout the country in terms of where you are in Jerusalem um, or Haifa or other parts of, of the country. So what, what is the picture uh, when it comes to the, the repression? Well, yesterday we saw protests in Jerusalem at Damascus Gate and in Sheikh Jarrah, which were um, almost immediately repressed by the Israeli occupying forces. Uh, so this is um, something that is um, that that aligns with a, with an intention to prevent Palestinians from challenging um, the continued dispossession and expulsions that we're seeing throughout Jerusalem. Um, this is something we also saw in the West Bank um, and. I'm sorry, I just don't have the figures of those who were killed in the West Bank. And that's really, I wanted to include that. But maybe we can add it later, maybe in your commentary. I will indeed at the start, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, In the West Bank as well, um, we've seen protests uh, throughout the occupied West Bank um, in uh, almost every city and, uh, and town. And this is really showing how Palestinians are uniting uh, in their struggle. Um, But at the same time, the repression is severe. And so Israeli occupying forces have been using live ammunition, rubber bullets, stun grenades, sound bombs, etc. to repress uh, demonstrations. And this is not uh, unprecedented either. We know that this has been happening uh, for many decades in order to prevent Palestinians uh, from challenging this regime. Um, At the same time, we saw protests from within the Green Line in Haifa, um, for example, um, which uh, which saw Palestinians gather uh, and chant for their liberation. And so this is all very encouraging because, as I said, fragmentation has been so entrenched uh, for many decades uh, that Palestinians are unable to come together and to protest as one. And this is something that we definitely saw yesterday in this National Day of Strike um, and Call to Action. I think that was extremely encouraging. We would mention that it th- things are moving so fast at the moment. There's a, a lot of developments, but and I hope to get this episode out um, in the next day or two. But just from where we are at, at this stage, um, where do you see things developing or what are the prospects for resistance or the Palestinian movement as a, as a whole? So the first thing we need to say is that um, uh, the Israeli attacks on Palestinians from the past two weeks have been severe. And in particular, I want to talk about the situation in the Gaza Strip. Um, where, um, where as uh, as of this morning, the Ministry for Health has reported that 219 Palestinians have been killed as a result of Israeli airstrikes, and this includes 63 children who have been killed. We've seen entire families uh, massacred uh, from Israeli airstrikes. We've seen civilian uh, property destroyed, including, as we saw, um, the media uh, media buildings. Uh, hosting um, Associated Press and Al Jazeera offices. And we're also seeing um, attacks um, on Palestinian health workers. So, for example, uh, all the roads to Ashifa Hospital in uh, Gaza City have been destroyed by Israeli airstrikes, preventing uh, access to um, and from the hospital uh, by ambulances. 
and this of course has uh, severe implications for um for uh, for the access of the injured um to uh, necessary care this is uh, something where we're seeing that the israeli repression is continuing to escalate uh, palestinians are paying um this heavy toll and um uh, and these and these measures really reflect uh, the level um, of violence, both structural and physical, that has been imposed on Palestinians for generations. Uh, so when we see uh, the demonstrations that are taking place today across historic Palestine, despite the increased repression that Palestinians face in Gaza, in 48, with the lynch mobs, in Jerusalem, with increased threat of evictions um, and, and expulsions, uh, and throughout the West Bank, where demonstrations are being repressed by the Israeli military, um, the, the silver lining is that Palestinians are coming together as one against this system of continued um, oppression. And so uh, what we're seeing is that Palestinians are overcoming this fragmentation that has for decades prevented them from mobilizing effectively as a group, as a people. Um, and we're also seeing that Palestinian refugees are, um, are, uh, are also joining in the struggle um, from Jordan, from Lebanon, uh, and elsewhere in the world. Um, and so essentially this is um, this is a source of inspiration to all of us that uh, the Palestinian struggle is one unified whole um, and that it needs to be viewed as such also internationally. What can listeners in Ireland or internationally do so to support the Palestinian cause? Um, I had mentioned, and I'll stick a link uh, and list out all of the demonstrations that are happening in Ireland, as well as some campaigns um, that people can support for uh, this campaign to expel the Israeli ambassador here, um, supporting BDS or organizations like the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign. Um, but just in, in your view, how can people support the cause? Uh, I wanted to point to a joint statement uh, that we put out yesterday um, in support of the Palestine strike and the international call to action. Um, so over 200 PhD researchers, LM students, graduates, undergraduates, and staff of the Irish Center for Human Rights in Galway um, and the NUI Galway School of Law, uh, we put out together a joint statement yesterday uh, in solidarity with the Palestinian people um, and recognizing the root causes of Palestinian oppression as being settler colonialism and apartheid. And so in the statement, we talk about um, how settler colonialism and apartheid have, um, have systematically targeted Palestinians um, and systematically deprived them of the, of the exercise of their inalienable rights. And the statement really offers a few suggestions for what can be done uh, in Ireland, both by the Irish government um, as well as by academics and practitioners in Ireland uh, who are working on the question of Palestine. Um, and one of the main things that we recommended in terms of actions to be taken by the Irish government are, first of all, the adoption of the Occupied Territories Bill, which has been stalled um, in recent years. Um, and it's an important measure. It also aligns with the obligations of Ireland under international law as a third state. Um, we also talked about the need to impose sanctions on Israel for Ireland to leverage its position as a member of the United Nations Security Council and European Union um, to impose immediate and mandatory sanctions um, in order to address those root causes. And in particular, we talked as well about the fact that Ireland was the first Western country to impose sanctions on the apartheid regime in South Africa, and therefore that it must take that action today uh, with respect to Israeli apartheid. 
And finally, we also called on Ireland to support an international criminal court investigation into the situation in Palestine. Um, for example, the crime of apartheid is enshrined in the Rome Statute of the ICC, and therefore the court has jurisdiction over this crime and must investigate it in the Palestinian context. So we are also in need of measures for of international justice and accountability in order to put an end to Israeli impunity. Um, second, we also talked about uh, the role of academics and practitioners in Ireland. And so, for example, we um, we issued a call to colleagues in Galway, elsewhere in Ireland, and as well abroad, um, to show and voice their solidarity with the Palestinian people, as we've been seeing across Irish cities um, in the past week, uh, to contribute to shifting this narrative on Palestine from one of so-called Israeli self-defense in a conflict that supposedly is too complex to understand, to one that actually reflects the reality on the ground, which is a settler colonial and apartheid regime imposed on the Palestinian people and designed to continually erase Palestinians from the land. Um, so finally, we also um, we, we issued this call uh, in line with the um, and in timing with the Palestinian strike uh, that happened yesterday across the story of Palestine. And we also encouraged further engagement um, in Ireland on social media, as well as participation in events and campaigns um, to lend support to the Palestinian uh, movement, as well as to civil society and grassroots organizations that today are working on the ground um, and documenting human rights violations. So in short, we uh, recommended that um, there needs to be an amplification of the voices um, and coverage of this ongoing NECPA targeting Palestinians with a view, of course, to bringing it to an end. Um, and the statement um, is available on the blog of the Irish Center for Human Rights, so it can be accessed there. Um, and yeah, we, we hope that uh, more academics join this call uh, from NUI Galway. We've already had 200 um, uh, join uh, and sign the statement. Uh, so this really shows uh, the extent of the mobilization and support for Palestinian rights. Um, and we can see as well that uh, necessary mobilization is possible in Ireland and measures should be taken, um, in particular adopting the Occupied Territories Bill. Yeah, and I will link to uh, everything mentioned there, the blog and, and also the report that you mentioned earlier on fragmentation. Um, listeners can find all of this in the description below and I'd encourage people to read up um, and get involved in, in whatever way possible. I think what you mentioned there is important in terms of um, people keeping in mind the long and storied history of solidarity between Ireland and Palestine and that the resistance is inspiring in its kind of unwavering form, but it reflects uh, struggles that are going on internationally. And I think many people take heart from the Palestinian struggle um, and just their repeated resistance of something that looks unmanageable. So so I guess just before we, we close the conversation, um, do you want to just have one final word on what this means for the struggle um, for Palestinian resistance if we're reaching a kind of culmination point at this stage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we I think we are. And I think that uh, liberation finally seems to be within uh, within our reach and um, hopefully within our lifetimes. And this is really the result of uh, the unity of the Palestinian people in this struggle, um, which has lasted generations and is now culminating. Um, and so we're seeing Palestinians rising up across their fragmented geographies, across historic Palestine and also in exile. And we're seeing this continued mobilization um, abroad in solidarity with the Palestinian people. And I think this is really important because 
Uh, on the one hand, it recognizes the root causes of Palestinian oppression, which need to be addressed. Um, it recognizes the role that fragmentation has played uh, in, um, in oppressing Palestinians um, and denying them their fundamental rights. And finally, it shows a real support for this, the Palestinian struggle for liberation. Um, and we need to continue to see that mobilization internationally uh, as well as in Palestine. Yeah, and I think people should do everything they can to, to push it to that culmination point. So thanks a million for joining me, Rani. It was a pleasure and uh, we'd love to have you back on in the future and uh, should keep in touch anyway. If there's any other things that we can support, we'd be more than happy to do so. So thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. No, no problem. Thank you. You're welcome.